Hi, and welcome to this next episode of the Nature of Scientific Disciplines podcast. Let's begin. Welcome, dear listeners. You just heard some bird sounds, and that is not by accident, because in this episode we will explore the fascinating world of biology. I'm Merel. And I'm Sasha. Your host for today's journey into the realm of cellular communication and genetic engineering. In this episode, we will not only try to give you an understanding of biology itself, but we have also had an interview with assistant professor in molecular microbiology, Sonja Billerbeck. We have talked with her about her recent publication on engineering with yeast cells, in which she manages to develop a yeast strain that lives in some sort of community. More on that later. Okay, let's start with biology. Biology isn't just about test tubes and lab coats, but it's about understanding everything that's alive. It's our way of figuring out how life works. We, for instance, have ecology. So we just heard the birds in the beginning. Ecologists would ask themselves the question how these birds adapt to their environment and how they interact with each other. This information is critical to understand challenges like habitat loss. Yes, and biology does not stop at the big stuff, right? It all begins at the smallest scale, the world of cells. Microbiology, a branch of biology, delves into the world of cells, viruses, and other microorganisms. It plays a crucial role in understanding infectious diseases, developing antibiotics, and more. These are the things biology can study. But maybe the how is also interesting. How is biology studied? Well, animals can be observed. We can observe plants and trees. Even the smaller cells can be studied with a microscope. And then there's the option to do experiments. So something is changed in one group compared to the other. Let's go with an example of strawberries. When something in their DNA is changed, they can be blue instead of red. Uh, researchers can then compare the differences. These are all ways to study nature. So I would say that it is empirical research. Empirical research is then the study of natural phenomena, including observation and experimentation. But the research of Sonja, which we'll be discussing today, draws from nature and then engineers it to become new things. In her research, she engineers with yeast cells. Within biology, this is called biosynthetics. This field tries to re-engineer biology to have new useful purposes. Biosynthetics could be described as non-empirical research, since it does not just study nature, it creates from nature. Let's listen to Sonja explain the engineer process in biosynthetics. In any design and biology, I think you always start with like prior knowledge. So biology is a huge black box. So it's very different to engineer biology than engineering electric circuits, for example. Because in electric circuit, you know exactly each component because likely you have built it by yourself or you know the materials, you know how it behaves. So you can simulate each component and as a consequence, you can simulate the full circuit. That's very different in biology because even if you have a lot of knowledge about certain components, they usually behave different than in the cellular context. And also we haven't really designed them by ourselves. They're made by nature. Then many components of the cell we don't understand. So it's basically a huge black box. Oh, that's interesting. A black box. I like that there's always some unpredictable factor in the research that she does in the field of biology. So Merel, you already mentioned that Sonia specifically works in the field of synthetic biology. Mm -hmm. uh, this term is something I, as a non-biologist, have never heard of before. 
If I think of biology, the first thing that comes in my mind is the scientist that looks through his microscope to study cells or the ecologist that studies the behavior of birds. How would you say that synthetic biology differs from the commonly known field of biology, like ecology or genetics? Well, if I go back to Sonia, Sonia specializes in synthetic biology, which describes a process that relies on a natural living part, the biology, and an unnatural component, mostly through engineering, the synthetic. But it is a relatively new field of biology. You might be wondering, where did biosynthetics start? I think that genetic engineering in the field of biology all started in the 1980s. Do you know Barbara Hobel? She was the first molecular biologist that described genetically engineered bacteria. Sonia, in 2023, still uses the same methodology to study yeast. She uses a specific strain of yeast, uh, which many researchers use in the field. Let's listen to Sonia explain why she uses this strain. This is the one mostly used model organism in yeast research. So the reason, I think it has historic reasons why it was used, but once this is kind of, you know, for every model organism, it's the case. So it, it has been chosen historically to, for people to work with. But then as over time, most of the tools and technologies have been developed specifically for this organism. So you have a, a better entry gate to kind of study whatever we study because we have tools available to do so. But then uh, there's another area in my, in my lab where we also start using other yeast that uh, where we don't have that many tools and we actually start developing the tools because some of these yeasts have very interesting properties like secreting antifungal compounds or maybe even being better, behaving better in bioprocesses. The caveat is that you have to develop um, genetics tools for that. That's the thing in microbiology that every organism is slightly different. So you always have to find like a new screwdriver or something to actually, you know, get access to their genetics. Um, to answer your question, there's just a lot of knowledge about it out there. So the knowledge that we have on Saccharomyces cerevisiae, or in easy words, baker's yeast, <laughs> makes this strain suitable to use for research. And the fact that this is one of the most used strains only builds to that knowledge. Shall we now move on to our actual research we were planning to discuss today? Ah, yes. But before we start, I think we should pay some attention to the star of the show, yeast. You've been talking about this for a while, but um, what is yeast actually? <laughs> That's my favorite question. <laughs> um, yeast, yeasts, yeast cells are basically single-celled fungi. So yeast are eukaryotes, rather like they're closer related to us than they are to bacteria, but still we can see them. So they're really tiny, just like bacteria, and uh, they're single-celled. So they basically, you know, divide clonally. So they divide and uh, just grow in suspension. So now we have an idea of what yeast is. We can talk about Sonia's recent publication on engineering with yeast called Peptide-Dependent Growth in Yeast via Fine-Tuned Peptides slash GPCR Activated Essential Gene Expression, which <laughs> sounds impressive, right? <laughs> yes, it's quite a mouthful. Let's hear in our own words what this research is about. How you start biological engineering is really just really getting to know your system, like from literature or also from your own experiments. So I had worked already a lot with this pathway that I use. So basically how this yeast is engineered, it has a, a surface receptor that recognizes the peptide and then the surface receptor signals to a transcription factor and that transcription factor switches on a gene. 
I'll quickly stop Sonia because I need some quick information. Sasha, what is a peptide and this transcription factor that Sonia is talking about? I think you can compare it to a lock and a key. So you have this yeast cell, which on its surface has a receptor. And this receptor acts as some sort of lock. Mm -hmm. As soon as the key, in this case, this small peptide, unlocks the receptor, something happens inside the yeast cell. And in this specific example, the combination of the lock and the key results in the activation of another protein, a transcription factor that she's talking about, that can switch on a gene. I think Sonia can best explain to us what this gene is they are looking at. And in our case, and usually that would be a genetic program that leads to mating, to cut that off in that yeast and rather have it linked to an essential gene that the yeast really needs. So basically, I already knew a lot about this pathway. So I knew a lot about the receptor, how it works, how it signals downstream, what genes I would need to delete to kind of insulate that pathway from other pathways that it usually connects to. So you have to do a lot of genetic engineering to actually you know, get the best design possible. And then you s start testing individually little components of the pathway to see if they work as expected. If they don't, you engineer them such that eventually you have tested all the components and you, you put them together and you, you hope for the best. Hoping for the best. All right, seems that engineering is quite complicated. But as I understood it, she made this yeast depend on a peptide and she could control this, correctly? Yes, I understood the same. So she developed a yeast that depends on the peptide and via this essential gene, she mentions she makes sure this yeast is only capable of growth if the peptide is present. I think this part of the research makes sense now, but I also am curious to hear more about what the most important outcome of this research is. The outcome of the paper is a yeast strain that um, is engineered to depend on a peptide. So it's basically without the peptide in the media, the strain is not able to survive. The reason we made these yeast strains is because we wanted to have a starting point for making synthetic communities of yeast. So usually in nature, bacteria or yeast or any type of microbe, they never live alone. They actually kind of live together and depend on each other, just like, you know, human society. But in the laboratory, we usually tend to grow them alone. So the field of synthetic biology is now trying to kind of, for bioprocesses, resemble this, rather than engineering single strains, kind of making communities of strains. So I actually, in, during my postdoc, I'm mainly focused on kind of tool development. So that means I personally not running after these big questions in ecology. I also don't want to build these like complex bioprocesses. I rather want to enable those by building the tools for it. Okay, so in short, one could say that Sonia and her co-author focus on a way to grow yeast communities in the lab to replicate the natural environment. This then adds to techniques researchers can use when working with yeast. And then in short, they added a new tool to the toolbox of the researchers. So Sonia Bellerbeck worked on a toolbox engineering of yeasts and allows quick troubleshooting if the engineering does not go as planned. But I was wondering why, what did she do this for? Why did she spend all that time in the lab messing around with petri dishes and wrecking her brains about how exactly this single-celled organism can be engineered. 
it's funny because I, I love the idea of like building these communities. But as soon as people ask me, so what are you actually going to do? Like, you know, you're talking about how you're going to save the world with your microbes and then you build these communities and then, you know, what are you going to do with them? So for these communities, it's, it's still a bit difficult for me to envision what they're going to do. But I can give you some concrete examples what people think they can do. In, in this field of synthetic biology, we think of cells as little factories that make, um, for example, medicines for us or materials like for example yeast can make insulin or they can make uh, biofuels or they can make you know yeah as i said materials like silk for example that can then be used so this is already happening but often this production process puts a lot of burden on the metabolism of the cell because at the same time we want we use them as factories because they basically do chemistry with their own metabolism but at the same time they also need to live and build biomass so there's this sweet spot between them producing something for us and still being able to divide and like make more of it. So once these bioprocesses get too complicated, it's actually beneficial to, to distribute them over several cells. And this is where then these communities come into play. And you say you want to make a very complex drug. So many cancer drugs uh, are coming from plants and they have very difficult multi-gene biosynthetic pathways that are often also better implemented in different types of cells. Like one component is better made in bacteria, the other one is better made in uh, yeast. So then you still in this bioreactor, you want to have all these cells grow together. So they need to be forced to kind of grow together. So this is where these kind of like connections can come into play and then they can together produce something. So what I understood from Sonia is that eventually these communities of yeast or other microbes can be used as small factories to produce complex materials and drugs, potentially an important contribution to society. But you also told us that there are still lots of problems to overcome before it has practical applications. What are your thoughts on this, Sasha? Do researchers always need to have a societal goal when they are working on something? I think that scientists are often influenced by society, but the goal does not have to be clear from the start. We, for example, still benefit from the groundbreaking study results achieved by Alexander Fleming in the early 20th century. He was surprised to see that some old moldy petri dishes were free from bacteria, leading to the accidental discovery of penicillin. The societal need was there, but his discovery was not intentional. Hmm, yes. And the contribution may as well be indirect and, for example, primarily have an influence on the research field. Sonia explains how our developed yeast strain can be used by others. It attributes a literal physical available strain. So because in, in microbiology or in bioengineering, we actually make things that then other people can have and use. So that's the first thing. So if someone is interested in building now a community of different yeast strains and wants to study how they behave together, they could ask me to give them this strain and I could give them even other strains that provide the peptide so they can study behavior in synthetic communities. So it com contributes like some, a physical component to the field of synthetic ecosystems, so to say. But it also, or it also, for example, how other strains like this could be engineered in the future. Um, there's also certain components. We, the, 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 the strain we engineered has a certain transcription factor, which is basically switching on this essential gene and communicating to this receptor we build and it doesn't communicate anymore to anything else in the cell so people could also just you know learn from this design and and use this transcription factor for something else or use the design concept to engineer their own receptor so but it, i would say it's a it's a rather technical contribution 
So, in the near future, Sonia's work mostly leads to progress in the research field. However, her work also helps other biologists, who may be working more directly to address societal needs. Biologists are of course not solely working on their own islands, but also helping each other with discoveries. Well, that's it for today. I hope we helped you discover something new on biology. I myself learned a lot. Uh, what about you, Sasha? In the next episode, yeah, we will yeah, discuss I something agree. about I, ethics uh, and misconduct. The research was new we will for discuss me, how we gain really scientific learned a lot knowledge, about the field what limits general, are of science, and what can go wrong in terms of ethics kind of and misconduct. Tune in for more. So that was fun to learn about, yeah. I hope you as a listener had just as much fun learning about biology and biosynthetics as we did. Thank you everyone for tuning in. 